Well, folks, we're at the end of season one, and it's only fitting that our last guest is my brother from another mother, Lloyd Lobo, uh, co-founder and president of Boast.ai. We're going to talk about uh, his journey growing up in Kuwait, immigrating to Canada, and then moving to the U.S. And for those that you know, Lloyd lives in San Francisco. And so we're going to talk about the stark differences of building a tech company in Vancouver compared to San Francisco. Three, two, one... If anybody that's been following Launch, you've probably seen that I'm, I've got my hands in a lot of different businesses. One of the reasons I'm able to do all these different businesses is because I've got great co-founders uh, that help me build these businesses. And today we've got uh, one of my good friends, really great co-founder for Traction Comp, uh, Lloyd Lobo. Lloyd is also co-founder and uh, I believe you're title COO of um, Boast.ai. Co-founder co and president. Co-founder and president of Boast.ai. Uh, Lloyd, welcome to the series. I'm going to let you do a quick intro about you. Uh, tell us a little bit about Boast, and then we're going to dive into your journey as an entrepreneur. Definitely, Ray. I can't believe we're not face to face. It's been a while. <laughs> Funny doing this like uh, screen sharing with you. But well, give... for all for all sense of purposes, we never are face to face because you're in San Francisco. I'm in Vancouver, and so we're, we're co-founders. We're building companies and, and businesses together. But you are Bay Area based, and um, it's a great asset for you. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think I would be go crazy if I was working with you side by side every day. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people would say that. I think I think we're in a distributed world, but it's it's funny. Like you know, uh, we're having like this interview style conversation when generally <laughs> when we've we've done that, it's been in person or like a chat over phone. But awesome! I'll give you a quick overview of what we do. So globally, each year over three hundred billion is given by government programs through R and D incentives and whatnot to fund businesses, innovative businesses. But the application process is cumbersome, it's manual, it's time consuming, and it takes a long time for you to get money. Boast AI is building the future of these innovation credit recovery with artificial intelligence so we can get companies more money faster for less time and risk. Behind the scenes, what we're doing is we're integrating with the company's tech stack and financial stack to speed up the application process and get them these government incentives in their hands sooner. As you know, with government incentives, you're not giving up equity, uh, you're not paying interest. It is government money, non-dilutive. And so it's the cheapest form of capital, but the red tape through the government is, is huge and we wanna streamline that process. But behind the scenes, if you look at it, our mission is to help innovative companies become successful. And that's why when we started Boast a couple years later, when Ray and I met, we said, hey, you have the same mission to help innovative companies become successful. And we collectively launched Traction, which has now become a community of 60,000 plus people. And we're bringing leaders from some of the fastest growing companies like Google, Shopify, Twilio, Slack, et cetera, to share advice through weekly webinars, monthly dinners, and the annual conference that we do. So that's the quick journey uh, or background on Boast and how we're tied together. Let's dive into you and your journey. So born in Kuwait, like I know, I know the journey that you had. So maybe you can kind of give us a, a background. So born in Kuwait, kind of around the time of the war and then uh, make your way to Canada and then the U.S. And Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a very interesting story. So I was born in Kuwait. My parents are from India. And they were working in Kuwait. So I ended up being born there. If you're born in Kuwait, it doesn't matter. You don't get a Kuwaiti passport. Anyway, in the 90s, the Gulf War hit. 
I traveled as a refugee with my family through Baghdad, Jordan, and then finally made my way, number, uh, to long story short, made my way to Canada. And, uh, you know, I think as an immigrant who's also been a refugee, it's always like, you know, you got to look out for yourself and you got to do more with less. I didn't have an ultimate of it. Although it sounds good, Kuwait is a very rich country, but I didn't have, um, you know, the world at my fingertips here. So everything is, how do you do more with less? And so you that, weren't a, we're a little baby sultan in Kuwait. <laughs> you were uh, just a regular Joe. Yeah, exactly. Right. My troublemaker. Uh, <laughs> I heard the stories about you in school and, and always getting in trouble. Very, um, very bad kid in school, sort of after grade 10. And uh, the funny story there is um, I was a rebel in school and uh, I just didn't like school. Right. And uh, and my parents were like, I don't know what to do. We need to break his company. And so they got me to Canada and somebody told my dad that your dad, your son's going to get ruined if he goes to Canada. It's the West, you know, everything is relaxed there. My dad's like, he's so bad here in Kuwait. <laughs> if I take him there, it's going to break the company <laughs> and he'll get better. And that's what happened. I, I had like sort of done everything through high school that it wasn't cool anymore for me through university. And, and then I met my wife, Vivi, girlfriend at the time. And she's super bright. She got into med school in second year of undergrad. So I always had that you know, I got to live up to these standards if I have to marry her kind of thing and uh, followed her along after I finished engineering, uh, moved to uh, New Jersey where I worked in product at a startup then went to Philly, worked at another startup and then uh, came uh, to followed her to uh, San Francisco or rather I forced her uh, to, to apply to San Francisco. So when she was doing her residency at Drexel in Philly, I said, we got to go to San Francisco and she kept saying no. My whole family is in New Jersey. We can't leave. And I begged and begged and begged. And she said, I'm going to apply to one university for a fellowship. And if I get in there, which is going to be near impossible, we'll go. And that was Stanford. She got in and, and that started really, although I had worked at startups in a true way, coming to San Francisco exposed me more than I had ever been before. Well, that's like an awesome segue. That's kind of where I wanted to dive in first. It's because almost everybody listening in uh, knows the the lore of San Francisco for a tech uh, company and tech entrepreneur. Things have started to shift and change and been accelerated even more with COVID, but the the Bay Area was losing a bit of its luster, but at the end of the day, it still is the epicenter of tech. So, so maybe let's dive a little bit about what you feel is different about being a tech entrepreneur in San Francisco and different as being a tech entrepreneur in New Jersey or Calgary or Vancouver, because you have worked and built companies in all these different areas. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think one of the key things is exposure, right? And, and now it's changing everywhere. It's changing, especially Canada, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal is, is booming. You're, you're colliding with a lot of entrepreneurs. But 10, 15 years ago, those collisions weren't happening. When I was working in New Jersey in product, um, those startup collisions weren't happening. I started to see early phases of that in Philly in 2010, 11, uh, but still nowhere at the level that it happened. And is that, is that just a level of concentration of, of where there's so many startups and entrepreneurs, or is it more of a culture where people in, in New Jersey just don't? Uh, back in the day, people weren't as actively out there networking. It's a combination, China, man. So like success breeds success. It's like a virus, right? So like what happened was 
you get all these companies, they start, uh, they bring their friends, they, I mean, all these founders, they have ideas, they launch with their friends, they get some other friends to angel invest, it turns into a big success like PayPal or Facebook or whatever. And then all those other people, newbies, young kids, interns, whatnot, they grow through the ranks, they make good money, the company IPOs or has a big exit, then they invest and pay it forward into the company. And that like that model is a viral model here. And it's it's it takes very long to replicate and it's multiple factors. It's pay it forward. It's um, it's rapid iteration. It's it's failing fast, failing forward. It's like a lot of things happen at once. And you know, there's luck as a factor too. It's a chance that a whole bunch of companies happen to be here. There's investors here. Um, there's good successful companies here. But if there was only investment money and all the companies failed here, then I don't think that carries on very far. That's not something that happens overnight. It, it's something that took time to build, but it's that that mass effect when you have so many companies, you're able to churn out more entrepreneurs. Like one of the examples I always give is like, if you're going to be a growth marketing expert, um, starting your career at Facebook, you might work there for six months, but you're going to learn so much. You're going to be exposed to so much uh, in terms of tactics and strategies and network that then you get poached by Twitter. You might be at Twitter for six to eight months, uh, learning more, building your network. But because in that one year you've learned so much, you would now maybe be a very attractive hire for Airbnb or even um, somebody newer like Hay or, or um, uh, uh, Brex or whatever. And, and now your seniority goes up exponentially. But try to replicate that in Canada or Australia or somewhere else. There's just not that level of concentration. So that six month at Facebook might be the equivalent of two years or maybe even three years at another company, um, the, the, the network and all the learnings. And so it just takes that much longer for somebody to get to that senior level. But in the Bay Area, it happens at such a rapid pace. In the Bay Area, it's, there's this concept of network effects in tech companies, but the Bay Area is multiple network effects happening at the same time, right? Like it's like, it's like the founders, then they've become successful. There's employees who've tasted success through exits and IPOs, and then they invest back into the community. There's this really good book by Nir Eyal called Hooked. It's like how to get people hooked. And I think if you, if you look at that model is like, there's a trigger that pulls you in. You get a variable reward. You feel you're part of the community and you're sucked back in. And there's that circle of getting hooked happens here all the time in that, uh, you know, you join a company, you make some money, um, you see rapid success of innovation going to commercialization and big boom. Then you're like, oh, I have like five of my friends over here are going and starting companies right now. Well, I'm not ready to leave yet, but I'm going to put like 10, 10K in all of their companies. And that happens over and over again. And, and when, you, when you add the factor of volume of entrepreneurs, size of the companies hiring and the investment capital, it's like the perfect trifecta, right? And then you get talent in all sorts of directions. So I think that exposure was great for me. And, and you've seen it firsthand. Having that exposure enables us to get some of the best speakers at Traction, build some of the best partnerships at Traction, because you cold reach out to some of these people and they're responsive, but then like, of course they look you up on LinkedIn. So you may be connected to 50 people they are connected to, right? Um, that helps. I think that's helped in multiple different ways. Uh, even my mindset thinking all of that. So I, you know, nothing but thankful, but at the same time, would I build a company in Silicon Valley? No, I would build a company in Canada. What we've done with Boast 
has been phenomenal, right? So Alex, uh, my co-founder, CEO, and I, we met in university. We're best friends. Him, me, my, my wife, we all sort of knew each other around the same time. And we were partners in every project at Boast. And then after Boast, I went to the US. He got into Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program and then did a startup. That startup failed, felt he needed to study accounting, studied accounting, long story short, ended up at a big four accounting firm managing their R&D tax incentive practice and called me and said, hey, uh, I think we should do this together. It's a big market opportunity. It's a, it's a, it's a large niche that's a niche that's ignored. Uh, but it's underserviced and it's manual, and we should uh, we should just automate it and do it better. And uh, and you know that was that was enough because I knew him so well. Alex was virtually family that I could leave the Bay Area, and he his wife was articling at the time. So we started the company out of his bedroom in in Calgary, and I was shuttling back and forth. But honestly. If I was just a rando guy in Calgary, I don't think we would have cut through the noise, right? The fact that we had all these connections in Silicon Valley and we could bring like Startup Weekend and Startup Grind and make all these connections and, and support the ecosystem. Now, coincidentally, we service companies in the ecosystem too. We, we serve entrepreneurs. We, you know, our target market is entrepreneurs. So having the connection from Silicon Valley really helped us uh, get off the ground, I would say. Um, but would I build a company in Silicon Valley? No. Like, as you know, uh, you know, bootstrapping Boast was tough enough. And like a lot of the times in the early days, there wasn't enough money to go around. So um, I joined the early team of a Bessemer incubated company called Speakeasy. And, and I was running product and growth there so I could make some money. But, you know, effectively, I built the team there and, uh, you know, helped get it to product market fit and was there through all the channel challenges of the raise through pitching to investors at the end for the next round through making helping make the decision of shutting it down and you realize the thing is silicon valley in a way has also created this culture of uh i guess super gratification right people want to be a part of the next big thing and they want to see like this fail fast fail often fail forward Right. So if you have that same philosophy to join, if you have that same mindset towards relationships, what happens? You're going to be breaking up <laughs> all the time. Right. Uh, and some places that does not translate to. And I my one of my fundamental learnings this year has been life and business is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so that fail fast, fail often, it applies really well to doing companies because of course you don't want to waste like the next 10 years of your life to just drag something along. So you want to make sure there's product market fit, people love it, you can build it and then you can scale it. But when you apply that to relationships, that falls flat, man. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, building a company here, if people are coming into your company, viewing you like that, meaning typical mindset. Oh, you haven't raised a round of funding in the, in the last one and a half, two years. What's the opportunity cost of my stock options? I'm out. I'm going to the next company that offers. Yeah. And that's that's one of the downsides of the Bay Area is, is that people <coughs> live and breathe that culture a little too much. And, and as mm -hmm. you're alluding to it, it's, it's permeating into other aspects of their lives. So it's not just work. It's the personal relationships. It's the way they view the world. It's the way that they... Um, move themselves through life and it's short-term gratifications that they're always looking for. Yeah. And that short-term works really well when you're validating idea to get to a seed round or you're like, you know, validating a channel to go from seed to series A. 
because you want to like test a few things, double down on what works, kill the rest. Of course, that's the great business philosophy. It doesn't work with relationships and ultimately to build a big, long-term, sustainable company, it rests on people, man. You can't treat relationships. If you treat relationships like a transaction on their way in, they're going to treat you like a transaction on the way out. So it's, it has to be uh, building companies is, is not an... Yes, in the early days, it's an experiment, but when you're taking it long-term, it's a, it's a relationship and you got to, once you've figured out like, okay, I have product market fit, like my customers would be really sad if I didn't exist. How do I take this to the next level? Then you got to like slow down, focus on relationships, um, right? And, and in general, overall, you need to focus on relationships because, you know, the people you're validating the idea with, they may sort of, you know, you may have to shut down the company, but those relationships will last, right? Like at Speakeasy, I think, um, my whole dev team wanted to come with me. We just couldn't afford as a bootstrap company at Boast. But uh, one of our salespeople, Brian, he went to Intercom and then he's like, no, I'd rather work with you. And he came. And Speakeasy for, for the audience is, was a startup in the Bay Area that you were actually scouted to join by Bessemer. And Bessemer is a VC fund, one of the top VC funds in the world. Uh, we met them or you met them through TractionConf Traction. and our network there. Uh, we'll kind of get into some of the other relationships that Traction's helped build for you in, in, in a few minutes, but uh, Bessemer, it was Brian from Bessemer that came and scouted you, right? Yeah, from so it was, uh, it was Byron. Yeah, so I met Byron through Traction Network and uh, one of Byron's, uh, Byron Dieter's colleagues came and spoke at Traction and I've been in touch with Byron and I spoke with him and he's like, hey, I have this perfect company you should join. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing both, but like we needed we needed enough money so like you know me and Alex would both eat so I'm like okay I'm gonna do this as well and and sort of you know <laughs> parallel track both of them 2015 16. and that's but something I, a lot of founders have to realize that sometimes you do have to take side gigs or or deviate from plans because financial issues and, and other factors come into play but uh, uh, I think also for you is I, I remember sitting there on the sidelines watching I'm like Yes, I understand the decisions that are being made here, but this is actually might be a good thing because the network and the other resources that you're able to tap into as a Bay Area company as opposed to a Canadian company can potentially really benefit you down the road. Yeah, definitely. And, and the other thing was a lot of rapid learnings, right? Um, being a part of a company that's going to blow up six million bucks in two years, build a team like, you know, uh, flight or fright kind of thing. Like it's, it's either you boom or bust model. You learned a lot of things that are great to do and you learn a lot of things that are that you should never do right and um, i think i think one of the concepts when you run a venture back company is the concept of data and iterating rapidly based on that data to validate or invalidate so those are a lot of the learning and the thing is the thing is what i what i do appreciate learning from working at startups is the experience of urgency right when you're sometimes a lot of companies don't have urgency and Elon Musk says this and, you know, maybe not the best example, but if, you, if you're in an industry with many competitors, you know, and you work twice as hard as them, then you're going to grow twice as hard. Right. And, and Silicon Valley teaches you urgency and speed. Um, but like, I think, you know, the, the whole instant gratification thing can be, yeah. can be improved. On. Well, there's also this whole new realization about the hustle porn. Um, yeah. The, the notion that if you're not working your ass off, you're not uh, worth it or you're not going to make it uh, successful, 
that also has come to a realization that there, there's there's a lot of false beliefs or or burnout is real. out there yeah and, and burnout is real so there's there's multiple ways to skin the uh the, the cat of like working hard right um i think like ruthless prioritization and focus is key as an early startup what do you want to do you want to get to product market fit you want to get one type of customer user using your service or product and coming through one type of channel and not churning that's what you want to get to right and you get to maybe 10 100 of those then you scale it meaning put fuel on fire on that one channel that's working what happens is you create stress for yourself when you say let's do everything and let's go too broad and let's do it all at once and let's everyone work you know uh, 80 90 hours a week and do it and then you get like small, you basically go an inch wide or rather a, a mile wide and an inch deep. And Peter Thiel has a very, very good quote on that saying, if you nail one channel, uh, it's enough to build a massive company. But if you try several and you did nail none, your business is finished, right? So that, that focus is a way to, um, to really not, not kill yourself and your team members. Right? Even if you're killing yourself as a founder, it's important that others because you may have passions like me i'm you know around the clock doing like stuff for traction both i'm tinkering with other things um your team shouldn't feel that impact because if you're passionate about working that's great but your team wants to have a work-life balance because they may not be passionate about things like that right so you shouldn't force it and that was a key realization for me out of philly because i worked at a startup there where uh, the ceo one day told me uh, I used to stay in the office till nine ten, and one day I got an email from him saying, um, "I used to like it when you used to be in the office till nine or ten. For the last week, you've been going home at six. Your wife is a resident, so she's working hundred hours anyways, doing residency. What is your urgency to go home?" And that was the week my parents were visiting from Toronto. And that day, I think I called Alex and I like almost cried <laughs> because he asked me around the same time. I think we should start the company. And I'm like, man, let's build a company that we want to work for. I'm with you. Like, you know, I, I'll be eternally thankful to Alex for calling me and giving me the opportunity because I, you know, had the opportunity to build the company that I wanted to work for. And Alex, the same thing, right? Like, like enough of this hustle porn. And, uh, and yeah, like, you know, I like to do all kinds of things and they're all related to digital marketing and startups. But lots of people like hiking and biking and working out and like, you know, doing the Olympics and whatnot. Yeah, we have more to life than just, just yeah. your business. And, and I, I'm a victim of this as well. Like I've been an entrepreneur all my life and it's always been work, work, work. My business is my life. My businesses are my life. Um, but uh, you do look back and think, oh, I might've missed out on some really important things by focusing more on superficial things like work, right? <laughs> Um, so it, it's it's passion, right? I always say um, passion is greater than transaction. So if you feel like you're not passionate towards a skill or whatever, then don't do it or you'll do it poorly. It just so happens that all my passions maybe and yours as a function of growing up in this environment has been tied to that. Uh, but others don't necessarily have those those kind of inklings yeah right? and there's nothing wrong with that like you, you're, you're starting starting a business you're going to have all different types you want diversity in your team and you want people with different perspectives and you have to realize that some of them are not going to be as diehard about your business and if they do go home at six like that's 
it's nothing wrong with that. I I think the key thing, one of my key realizations this year is, you know, you've, 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 you've met both my kids. You've been to my daughter's baptism. You know, we had a a very hard uh, challenge with, uh, with my second kid there being born five months early. I mean, you're, you're virtually family, right? So you've seen the journey, but one thing I've realized is uh, my first kid pretty much happened around the same time we started Bose and I was traveling a lot and I didn't get a chance to spend with her and she didn't grow up very close to me like mom's first right and I thought I did a good job with my second kid and then uh, I think this year during during COVID last few months I I like (laughs) went a little overboard work and I see her like now you know dad's turning into uncle kind of thing so one of the most important thing is invest the same amount you do in work that you do at home and life is a balance and uh you know it's a marathon it's not a sprint there's no easy formula like things change no things change month to month like relationships change as well and and uh your your wife or your husband or or significant other might have other priorities that might pop up that you have to adjust to so um there, there is no easy answers but uh it all takes effort yeah definitely so th- so that's the key thing that's a key realization but it's a it's a balance right like you can't apply the startup methodology like i said earlier towards your relationships right fail fast fail often <laughs> like you can't do <laughs> hey i don't know i know some guys that uh, have tried that strategy back in high school and, and college relationships uh, are you know the the metrics the kpis for relationship is very different than your business, right? And and that's what uh, you know. I always say is treat the people that surround you right, and they will treat your business right, and your business will grow. And that is the recipe for doing it for long term, right? I mean, like effectively with traction, neither of us are making money in it, right? It's helped build the community. Today we've got like sixty thousand plus subscribers. Yes, it serves your business. You're serving the same audience. Yes, I'm serving the same audience, but it came out of a greater mission of helping innovative companies become successful. We're not making money from it. It's going back to fund the community and, yeah. uh, and all these free things, right? That karma has come back so many fold. And I look at all of that as a relationship, right? Like treat people right and they will treat your business right and, and effectively things will grow. Yeah, at the end of the day, like we're not an events company. Like we're not out there to make a million bucks off of traction, but it does serve its purpose, and and we built it um, accordingly. Like basically, it's three people that run traction: you, me, and Alana. And uh, yeah, there's more people that come along during the actual event, but uh, pretty much for the most year, it's run by three people. And so, exactly right. So that's that's the thing. It's very lean. It's, 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 it's effectively, you know, immigrant DNA, like bootstrap, do more with less, uh, barter, beg, and then pay. <laughs> <laughs> barter, beg, and pay. Yep. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's very, very much in line with our strategy. Uh, I, I want to jump back to boast because you, your journey with boast uh, for both you and Alex, it's very similar to what a lot of people go through in, in sense that you you started off more as a service-based business and you were uh, definitely doing a lot of uh, hands-on work with clients. You were um, 
very beneficial to them. The service that you were offering was extremely valuable. Like when it comes to extending people's runway in the non-dilutive capital, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. But uh, you were successful where a lot of people failed in transitioning that service-based business into a, for, uh, a product-based business. So let's kind of talk through that journey of the decisions that you had to make, the compromises that you had to make to get towards that product and um, where that's led you today. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I'll share a philosophy of, of product management that I subscribe to even, even before that uh, is technology is not the solution first. First concept of building products is you need to understand the outcome your customer wants. Then you need to understand, or like what is the job your customer is trying to do or what outcome they're trying to get to. Then you need to understand how are they doing that today? What are all the manual steps? How are they, how are they consuming that? Then you need to work towards, can I remove some steps? Can I combine some steps? Can I, how do I streamline that? And then once you deliver, have that streamlined process nailed down and you've gotten people that outcome, maybe Wizard of Oz manually, then you start to prioritizing and building, turning that into a product. Now, when you're a funded company, that process is expedited because you have the money and you can fail rapidly and whatnot. When you don't have funding, you can't build software on day one, right? It's like, do I get customers? Do I build product? So our focus at Boast was let's follow that methodology, get customers. Let's make sure customers are really happy. Um, they are connected with our brand, with us as people. They love doing business with us. They see us as a trusted advisor. That's why you know we partnered to do traction. That's why we're adding all this other value. Like It stemmed from the mission, help innovative companies become successful. Yes, we can go and build software on day one. Alex had one thing in mind and, and uh, you know we were on board and aligned on it is, I don't want to go and raise money and give up all my control and equity and everything else from day one. I don't want to be work for somebody else. I'm going to build the business that you want to work for. Also, when you start raising on day one, you, 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 you know, nine or 10 times when things don't work out and, you know, it stresses the company. Right. So, and we had come from that environment. And that, that's, that's, for some people that's unrealistic in, in some of the markets that our audience are in like raising money in day one just doesn't happen. But in San Francisco, it does happen. And that's, that's where that comes from. And that logic of you can just raise money and go build product, but nine out of 10 times, that's a path for failure. Yeah, but they also fail fast here, right? They take a seat around and they fail, they shutter and move to the next thing, the next thing, like one, two years. That's high. also, again, a challenge of where people fail fast with other people's money. Whereas a lot of companies that are bootstrapped, a lot of other entrepreneurs, they have their own money in, they got their family's money in. And so failing fast and just shuttering isn't as easy of a decision because you're basically telling your family, like, sorry, I, my plan didn't work. I'm giving up after three months and I'm moving on to something else. Exactly. So the mindset there with, uh, with Alex and, you know, I, I was coming strong from, uh, hey, maybe you should raise money. I'm in the startup community. And Alex was like, you know, let's build a sustainable company. I'm, me and Alex are like yin and yang, right? Like he is like uh, very, when I say, how do I describe him? He, he is very real, right? And yeah. he-, he reasons, Methodical thinking, he's very realistic and he's very um, tactical yeah. uh, on how he wants to execute. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm very hyper aggressive, right? Like sort of like parts of Silicon Valley in me, but like uh, I've learned along the way working closely with Alex, right? Um, but like, yes, it's a lot of be aggressive, uh, run fast, break things. And you've seen like, you know, the first traction we did, you're like, get 200 people and 500 people showed up and we didn't have seats on the floor, right? It's like, it's always that mindset because, you know, I guess my career grew up in like the US startup ecosystem, right? Um, but I think after a while you need to balance that or else you'll just choke and break uh, everything. Um, so the, the moral of that story here is if you compare Bose to Speakeasy where you raise money on day one and then you fail two years later, yeah, we took a longer time to build Boast, but it's sustainable. We're doubling revenue year over year. We're 35 people. I see us going to almost 70 people next year. Um, we just raised a large round of funding. We raised a large 23 million USD Series A combined with a $100 million credit facility to, uh, to basically disrupt the R&D tax incentives market with artificial intelligence and, uh, and help people get access to their money faster, get access to more money faster for less time and risk. But this was the first money in. So we have a lot of the company. We have a lot of the control. Things are in our favor. We can run on our terms. People, we, one of the people we both admire is Jason Lemkin. He's the founder of Saster. And he always says, don't accidentally bootstrap to death. You, you need to know when's the right time and when it's yeah. yeah. And if you can, if you can leverage government incentives, like we've taken IRAP money, right? There's shred in Canada, which is what we automate. And um, there's angels, your own money, customer revenue. The way I look at it, customer revenue, government funding, and, uh, you know, I, I guess customer revenue, your own money, then government funding, uh, then angels and whatnot. Because when you take external people, they also have expectations, right? And so yeah. who's if you're building a company, the first expectation you should serve is your customer, not the investor. You're going to get all this competing advice when things are down. When things are up, nobody cares to give you any advice <laughs> to the next day. But it's like when things are down, 10 people, you hear 10 things from 10 different people. So it's like get get customers and you can do this easier in a B2B uh, setting. It's hard to do it in a consumer setting. I don't even know how I would do it. I think consumer settings are capital intensive to begin with. Uh, and you need to raise a bit of money unless you have something that you landed on a gold mine. But in a B2B space, you can bootstrap with that same model I gave you. It's like deliver something manually, uh, figure out the outcome first, figure out the pain points and how they're consuming that outcome map out a process, deliver that process to enough people, get them to pay you for it, and then automate uh, the flow, right? And, and we're doing that year over year over year, trying to automate as much as possible to make it more efficient. And that's-, that's And you guys have a very solid customer base that you're able to test and validate a lot of things with. And, and they love you guys so much that they're willing to ride through some of the ups and downs with product tests and uh, new business exactly. models. Exactly, actually our right? customers, Customers don't even know uh, that you know we're we're preparing all these claims in our software, right? Or maybe some of them, a lot of them know, a lot of them don't know. So that's not entirely true. But our customers want an outcome, and I think the world's going to eventually move towards outcome-based products, right? Customers want an outcome. I give you something, you give me that outcome. Um, the jumping in hoops in between, like you know. How many times you sign up for products with the best intentions and then you don't use it because you got to do something, right? Mm -hmm. I think 
this, this is the whole concept of artificial intelligence is there's this, I have, I need an outcome, X product. There's this do something box in between. Um, and I got to interact with it and whatnot. And this is where artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of this comes in is like, how can we use humans and intelligence and data to take this do something away from the customer so they can get to an outcome faster with less time on their end? Yeah, this is not something new. It's like traditional yeah. business. Like I, I came to you for a cake. I, I may care where you got the flour from and some of the ingredients are going in it, but I don't care as much as the cooking and baking process. I just want the cake because I have to go to my birthday party. Um, and so it's the same thing with products and services. People want, uh, they're paying for a service or they're paying for a product. They want the outcome. This has been a really, really great conversation, Lloyd. And uh, obviously uh, I was joking when I said, I don't want to be next to you, but uh, I do hate the fact that we can't uh, hang out as much as we did uh, a year ago, but hopefully this is coming to an end and we're, we do plan as launched having more regular activities in uh, San Francisco and we have always had our CXO dinners for our CEOs to go and network with other CEOs and VCs in Vancouver, Seattle, San Francisco, New York, Austin, Toronto. So hopefully those are coming back soon and um, uh, we can start to hang out face to face. But before we let you go, I want to wrap up with two specific questions. The first one is for you as an entrepreneur, what is one app or one tool that you feel our audience should definitely know about that has made a big difference in your entrepreneurial uh, life? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to skip through the chats and all of that stuff. Right. Because like when I say chat, meaning like I use WhatsApp a lot to communicate, I use, uh, I use a calendar a lot and my whole life effectively you'll see is calendar reminders. And, and that is, that is an important thing because um, one of the most key things as an entrepreneur is staying on top of things and and effectively I don't know if you can see can't it. see it oh. yeah but is effectively trying to remember stuff uh, and stay on top because what I hate is a pet peeve is when somebody makes an intro to me I reach out to somebody I want to respond right away the more responsive you are they build a level of trust with you if you take like two days to respond so staying on top of things so I'm, I'm like glued to like uh, schedule send on Gmail and uh, uh, and the Google calendar, like I use a lot, but like, you know, that's the standard stuff and like uh, work, Facebook workplace for chat and WhatsApp for chat, like basically something that helps you stay on top of things and communicate uh, very rapidly. Um, LinkedIn has been a good thing for me this year. I've been spending a lot of time uh, sharing those love notes on LinkedIn and getting some <laughs> engagement, uh, but nothing out of the, nothing out of the ordinary. I think like, you know, similar to what I said on the product side is nail down the process. What is your goal as an entrepreneur? My goal is to stay on top of things and be responsive to people because ultimately people do business with people. Trust is the cornerstone of all relationships and you can't build trust with somebody if you're a flake. So <laughs> Uh, so those kinds of things. And if there are tools that I would, I use something like Mixmax, for example, um, it's been a, it's been a great tool for me because it helps me follow up with people. It sent, helps me send, uh, uh, it, it helps me follow up with the sequence. If somebody doesn't respond, it sends an auto follow-up. I use, uh, this tool called zoom.ai it's for calendaring. Um, and that's a great tool. So I use Mixmax yeah. outside of the counter stuff. I use zoom.ai and Mixmax a lot. So, so it's really a lot of stitching tools together. So not one specific one, but stitching a bunch together to help you stay 
uh, on time, on point, and uh, not be a flake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I want to wrap it up with the, the last question being, what's your advice in building a startup in today's world? So, you know, some of the principles are going to be the same, but uh, what I would share is the first thing is know when you're ready to grow and you're not ready to grow when you don't have an ideal customer profile, one type of customer coming to use your product to get one job done. And two, if they don't keep coming back to get that job done. So your, your, your first two steps before raising money or anything is figure out your ideal customer segment, figure out uh, what job they're trying to get done, what outcome they're looking for, map, up, map all the components to get them to that outcome and build something that they would use. And once they keep coming back to your product over and over again to get that job done, I think it's time to fly. Right. So I think that is a key piece people forget. It's like, let's build something, put it out there and sell it to lots of people. And, you know, so getting getting those two ingredients right is key. And the way and the second thing is focus. Focus is so important from a business building perspective. Look at both two, right? Like one kind of audience we sold to startup owners, tech company owners, CEOs, um, one kind of one or two channels. We have four salespeople. All we do is sales and we build a massive community with you guys through traction. Like we don't do a hundred other things. We don't go and run ads and like, you know, <laughs> do all kinds of things. It's like focus is very key. And to get from an idea to a series A round is focus. Like if you get, if you focus on one kind of customer who keeps coming back to your product over and over again to get one kind of value and you find them through one or two channels, then you can be like, okay, you know what? I measure all of this and I put fuel on fire. And, I, and, and now I can expedite it, test other channels and whatnot. Um, so the focus is, is key. And so focus and, and the second thing is prioritization based on that focus. Like, how do you prioritize? And so, you know, when you're, when you're looking at even initial markets, I think one of the key things is do a simple Google spreadsheet and put like three markets and put like, uh, how many people are in those markets? What is my ease of access? What is their propensity to pay? Put a hypothesis score on, on a scale of one to five, multiply it out, get a thousand contacts, you know, scrape it or get buy it or find it, message them on LinkedIn and try to get your messaging perfect. Like, you know, what is the message that would resonate with them? And if you get like, you know, reach out to a thousand people and 10 people agree to do pilots with you, you pick that segment, right? And then, and then the same thing with your marketing channels, you can apply the same methodology, pick three marketing channels, uh, you know, do the hypothesis of what is the ease of implementation, the result of it. Like what, what is, do I feel, what is my confidence in this turning out well? And then put a little bit of money across each and, and where you're getting the results start like squeezing. Double down. Yeah. Double down. Yeah. A lot of people just try many things and they go broad in the early days and they fail. And the, the, if I can share one thing, the key to getting from like an idea to at least your series A is focus and ruthless prioritization, not doing everything, saying no. Uh, it's definitely solid piece of advice. Focus is key. Lloyd, we're at that point where we want to wrap it up, but uh, I want to give you one last chance to uh, ask something of our audience. So you've been very valuable with your insight and advice, uh, but here's our chance for our audience to give back to you. What can our audience do for you? What's your call to action? Yeah, definitely. So check out boast, B-O-A-S-T dot A-I. 
If you're a founder that is innovating, we can help you get money from the government faster, cheaper, better for less time and risk. Also, we're hiring. We have a lot of positions open. So go to boast.ai forward slash careers. Awesome. It's a great service. I know hundreds and hundreds of companies that have used it and have made, uh, brought in hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, non-dilutive. It's a great uh, uh, alternative and something that every company should be using. So check out boast.ai, check out tractionconf.io and uh, more links in our link tree. Uh, keep a watch out for news on that and uh, promo codes galore. Thanks, Bo Lloyd. Awesome, man. This was fantastic and look forward to hanging out in person. Maybe we can go to Miami again and almost get shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast uh, we can do on uh, the adventures of Ray and Lloyd. All right. Thanks, man. Launch Ventures is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Founder Journey, please share this with your friends, family, and other entrepreneurs. If you're ready to start your own entrepreneurial journey and would like some guidance, please head to launchacademy.ca and check out our entrepreneurship course and other online resources like our Launchpad for virtual incubation and mentorship.